hours now. And I wanted to speak today, I'm going to speak about light. And so I felt like it would be a wonderful picture of the difference between darkness and light if we had a contrast today. And um, are we able to drop those back there? Father, I thank you because you are the king of glory. I thank you because your kingdom has come. I thank you because you have chosen us and given us life. I thank you because in you is life. God, we behold your glory and we've tasted and seen that you're good. Today, Father, my desire is that every one of us would have a greater revelation of your love, that we would have a greater encounter with you. Lord, not simply so that we can speak of an experience, but that we would actually be stepping in further than we ever have before, that we're knowing you more today than we knew you yesterday, not as a romantic notion, but as reality in life. Lord, even now I know that you're granting this. Again, I just speak over you as a people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is no separation between you and the Father because there can be no separation because of what the blood of Jesus has accomplished. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I speak to every fear. I speak to every condemnation. I speak to everything that would say to you that there's a distance between you and the Lord. And I say, if you turn to Jesus... And simply remind yourself and confess your sins. Confess whatever it is that your conscience is condemning you for. And say, Lord, forgive me. I have done this. Then by the blood of Jesus, that is immediately and completely forgiven. There is no penalty or punishment that can be left over because Christ Jesus took the penalty and punishment. Justice has been served. You guys are familiar with the, uh, the laws of, of physics, and one of those laws is that every action causes an equal and opposite reaction. And how many of you know that the laws of this earth speak of spiritual things? And when we, by uh, means of be it greed or be it injustice or be it whatever, when we do something that's negative, it creates injustice. It creates literally in the fabric of the universe, it creates Iniquity, it creates injustice. And until justice is served, until there is another equal and opposite reaction, then that thing is undone. It is broken. Justice has not been served. And Jesus came and literally came as an opposite, an equal reaction to injustice in this earth. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Every single violation... Every single injustice, every wound, every sin, Christ Jesus himself took the penalty of that. He took the reaction to that in the universe, and he set it aright by himself dying on the cross. And so when the enemy comes, or even when your own conscience comes and says, you cannot approach the Father because you know what you've done. And justice has not been served. You know that you've fallen short. You know that you've been selfish. You know what you've rationalized. Then you can speak with authority and say, God, forgive me. Truly, I do repent that I've done those things. I stand guilty. However, because of what Christ has done, I stand in the righteousness of Christ. Justice has actually been served. That's why we have confidence to approach the throne. Amen? 
I want to read some stories to you today. And I'm going to start with Matthew 5, uh, verse 13. We're going to read 13 through 16. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, then how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And you are the light of the world. Somebody say that. I am the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, and nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives its light to all who are in the house. I want you to look around. What are your eyes drawn to right now? The light. Well, are we supposed to, well, okay, I am the light of the world too, so I guess that works. But you're not working with me, but that's okay. I'm going to roll with it. The light, our, 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 our eyes are drawn to the light. Even if we're in a place of darkness, the moment that the light comes, the darkness is completely powerless to withstand the presence of that light. They do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and give light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he's talking about the kingdom, and he's talking about how the kingdom looks and how it expands and who we are in the kingdom. So I'm going to skip ahead now to Matthew 13, 24. Yeah, Matthew 13, starting at verse 24. And Jesus is speaking these parables to the disciples and to those that are around, and he's talking about what the kingdom is like. I'm going to read a few of these, and then I'm going to pull this together. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. For those of you that don't read New King James Version, this means weeds. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does this have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while they gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together. Say, grow together. Until the harvest, and at the end, I'm sorry, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. I want you to take note that he he gathered the tares first, but both of them came up together. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. How many of you know what kind of bread you get when you don't put any yeast in it? Leaven is yeast. Yeah, you get crackers. The, the one time that I tried to bake... I made crackers. I feel like that's an accomplishment right there. Come with me now to Matthew 25, 31 through 46. So, so far we've talked about the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, and the leaven. And we've also talked about that you are the salt and the light of the world. Okay? So what are we? We're salt and light. We're wheat. We're mustard seeds. And we're leaven or yeast. Verse 31, so we're 25, 31 through 46. The Son of Man will judge, okay. When the Son of Man comes in his glory 
and all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he'll set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, "Uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers... You did it to me. And then he'll say also to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or strange or or naked or sick or in prison and not ministry to you? And then he'll answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So here's all these very normal life things that, that, that the father is looking at and saying, if you did the least of these things, you did it unto me. And if you didn't do any of these things, you didn't do it to me. All right? So we've seen salt and light. We've seen the wheat amongst the tares. We've seen the mustard seed. We've seen the yeast. And now we're seeing as well that, as, that whatever we do, even the smallest of things, those things we do unto him. I feel like we should turn the page. (laughs) Now, here we are today. Here we are today. And here it is, Resurrection Sunday. Matthew 28, verse 1 through 20. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and and the other Mary came to see the tomb. I always thought about the other Mary. Did they call her that? Like, other Mary? No, not, not you, Mary. Other Mary. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, and he has come. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And so they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. I want to just say one thing real quick here. Don't you think it's awesome, first of all, that that all the dudes... We're hiding somewhere. And the women 
were the first to look for Jesus and the first to see Jesus resurrected from the dead. Why do you think that is? I believe the reason why Jesus first revealed himself to the women is because the women were the first to be released from the curse. The woman got cursed first. When Satan stole everything and authority on earth, women ended up being cursed. Remember it said, now you will be subject to your husband. Now you'll be subject to men. That was part of the curse. And they were the first ones to get released from the curse. How awesome is that? God gave dominion of the earth to men and women. Did you notice in the Bible, if you go to Genesis, that God doesn't give dominion to, over the earth until Adam and Eve are together? And it says, and then he said to them, having made them in his image, male and female, subdue the earth and rule over it. The curse is what made it not a partnership. The curse is what made it all weird where the dudes are like, yeah, women, rah, rah, you were deceived while I was standing there saying nothing. <laughs> Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief. Did I just skip something there? No, okay. Uh, Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they'd assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, "Uh, Tell him his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. And so they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day, that essentially they stole the body. And then the eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. For a lot of us, I just want you to hear that. You all know that all authority has been given to God in heaven. But also all authority has been given to God on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He has risen. He has risen. <laughs> now Jesus rises from the dead. The Father brings Christ back from the dead. Jesus goes into the center of the earth and takes back all authority on earth. And he didn't take it back because he was the most powerful. You see, he took it back because he actually brought balance back to the universe by satisfying justice, which is written in this whole creation. It stands on justice and mercy. And Jesus comes in, establishes justice through his own death, and then is resurrected by the power of God so both mercy and justice are satisfied. And then he comes forth and he says, now, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, all of y'all, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I've told you. And so there, I want to go back now and say, okay, well, what did he tell us? Well, the first thing that he told us was that we're salt and light. And as you look around right now, your eyes are drawn not to the darkness. I notice that no one is staring off into the darkness, just... But you're looking into the light. You're looking around and the things that are bright, the things that are alive and light, your your eye says, oh, 
That look at that. Look at the beauty of the light. Look at that. Look over in the corner here. What do you see? What do you see? You see the light. What do you see over in this corner? You see the light. Your eyes are drawn to the light. When that back door opens, it's almost maddening for me because I, I just am like, it, you know, I, I, can't, I can't avoid looking to the light because the light is superior to the darkness. And Jesus has said to us before he, so now he's validated his authority. He's validated the reality of his kingdom. He's died and risen again. He is the firstborn among many, and we're the many. So now he's saying, okay, here's what my kingdom looks like. Remember all that stuff I just told you about what my kingdom's like? Remember when I told you, you are the light of the world? First Jesus came, he said, I am the light of the world. Indeed, he is. But then he goes to the Father and he says, you, you are the light of the world. And the light is completely and in all ways superior to the darkness, the enemy has no power to extinguish your light. How many of you see the darkness overcoming the light in this room? What power does it have? None whatsoever. It is completely at the mercy of the light. The light holds all the power. The darkness has none. The darkness has one choice, and that is to flee whenever the light shows up. That is a great word, Joshua. The only way that the enemy can beat you, the only way, the dark one, the only way that the kingdom of darkness has any chance of slowing down the gospel, he already knows he can't stop it. I think he's crazy enough to think he's going to get a mistrial at the end, but it's not going to happen. But he knows he's got to slow it down. And so what does he do? He comes to convince the light, which is you, to extinguish your own flame. And what does that parable say? The first, the first one that we have, it says, you don't take a light and put it under a bowl. And what happens if we put one of these under a bowl? It's worthless. It doesn't light anything. It doesn't draw anything. It just becomes part of the darkness. It just blends right in with the darkness. But instead, you put it on its stand so everyone can see it and be drawn to it. I am powerless to keep my eyes from looking to the light. The, the parts of this room that are lit up, I'm powerless. I, I ha I'm drawn to it. How many of you are drawn to the light? Yes. Well, you are the light. And others are drawn to Christ in you, the King of glory who's been resurrected. He lives in you by the Holy Spirit, and you cannot help but shine. However, what if you begin to believe and minimize that light that you are? If you begin to believe that you are not indeed the light of the world, and in fact that you are in the darkest of places, and your light, if you begin to become more impressed with the darkness than you are with the light, then you will begin to put the bowl over your own light. The only one, I want you to say this, the only one who can extinguish my light is me. Did you hear what you just said to yourself? Think about it for a minute. Nothing can extinguish your light except you. Nothing. The darkness is powerless to extinguish you. Your neighbor is powerless to extinguish you. Nothing, nothing can extinguish your light save you. I believe that well, let me, let me just revisit a couple of these other, these other parables, and I'm going to pull this together. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which, 
which starts out so tiny. But then it grows and it becomes the largest plant in the entire garden. A mustard seed actually turns into a small tree, essentially. It becomes the largest plant in the garden, but it starts out as the smallest seed in the garden. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is just like that. And then he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a good man who planted wheat, but then an enemy planted tares around it, right? And, he's, and, then the, and the good man says, you know what, let them both grow up together. And then, at the, and then when things have come to their fullness, first we'll go in and root out all of the, the tares. Isn't that interesting that he then roots out the wicked stuff first? For some of us that are looking for things to get worse before they get better, I think you should think about that for a minute. That he doesn't come in and rapture out all the wheat, but he comes in and gathers all the tares. Just a thought. Then he gathers the wheat. Okay, so they both come into fruition. So you bonfires, your candles, you're burning into bonfires. You're coming into the fruition of being a part of the kingdom, extending the kingdom. He says also, the kingdom of heaven, you, as the light of the world, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took a little bit of yeast and she hid it in three measures of flour until it ended up in the whole loaf. The kingdom of heaven gets spread into all of society until it ends up in all of society. Now Jesus, think about the backdrop of where Jesus is. Jesus is speaking to a group of people, this tiny little group of people, it's estimated he had about like, I think maybe a thousand followers at that point, you know, spread out that were just sort of like, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. He had the 12 disciples, but he had, so essentially Christianity is a thousand people in the entire world at that moment, just an estimate. And he says to them, y'all are like wheat, y'all are like wheat, and there's a lot of tares around you. And he says, and also, y'all are like a mustard seed, you're tiny right now. And also, you're like yeast that got thrown in to, you're hidden in all this flour. But you're going to end up in all of the loaf. And over the next years, you see the kingdom of heaven explode. And Rome falls. Rome, they're in a kingdom that killed Jesus. Think about this. These guys killed Jesus. Their king. And Jesus rises from the dead and then he says, okay, my kingdom is established I have all authority. You go extend it. And so they begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they begin to demonstrate the goodness of God through healing, through service, etc. Now Jesus, when he came, what did he say? I came not to be served, but to serve. Okay, so what is it that you think, why did he say that? Somebody just throw it out there. Why did he say that? Because we're going to serve. Exactly. He's like, and so you, the servant, is not greater than his master. And so if I, as your master, am washing your feet... I want you all to understand the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast thrown into the loaf. You are that yeast thrown into the loaf. And you are going to bless the entire earth by washing one foot at a time. How many of you are confused about the complexities of washing feet? The only one who can extinguish your light is? Right. Now, here's how it happens. The enemy wants to minimize where you are 
right now and what the effect of you being completely alive in the place that you are right now has. If he can get you to believe that your life doesn't count right now with the people that you're with right now, if he can get you to believe that, that, you're, that those little things that you're doing, that, that foot washing that you're doing, that soda that you're buying, that lunch that you're taking someone to, that encouragement, that noticing that they're downcast and saying, are you okay? Let me buy you lunch. What is going on? That local aid where you, where you volunteer, that school where you're helping children to read, that mission where you serve food, that city where you sweep the streets, that yard that you care for, that home that you have established, that marriage that you're fighting to hold on to and honoring, those children that you're raising, those things are yeast and light and salt and wheat and a mustard seed that is extending and growing until the kingdom is preeminent among all things. You are carrying kingdom revelation and solutions for every problem in the earth. And the only way the enemy can stop you is if you yourself begin to minimize the things that you can do and you stop doing them and you stop opening your mouth to say, he is risen and he loves you. And they say, how do I know that he loves me, and you say, do you not see me buying you lunch today? It's a foolish thing. And I don't come to you to present myself as being perfect, and therefore you should be perfect. I come here saying he is perfect, and therefore let us be perfect. He has perfectly loved us. He has perfectly reached us. Are you guys tracking with me? I believe the greatest attack on us as a people from the enemy is simply this. He has impressed us to think that the darkness is somehow a formidable foe. That sounds comic book to me, the formidable foe. <laughs> he has caused us to believe that the darkness is somehow even equal to light. And the darkness can't even stand in this room. And we don't need, we've only got like one electric light on in here. This is like old school light. The enemy even has to run from old school light. <laughs> but we, if we believe that what we're doing counts very little, we will cease to do it and we lose our salt and we lose our light. Let me, let me share a story with you. When I was a kid, there was a season where we were really, really poor. And we were so poor, in fact, that I like to get into how poor were you stories with other people. And they think I'm kidding, except for I'm not. I remember one time we were talking about being poor when we were kids, and this one lady girl goes, I was so poor when we were young, I had to wear a hand-me-down. And I'm like, singular? Like, you one time had to wear one hand-me-down? I had to wear my big sister's clothes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we used to just get big black garbage bags full of clothes. People would be like, oh, the Revises. Let's take them clothes. And so you would get like, Five or ten garbage bags. There was no Goodwill. We lived in a little town of like 800 people. So like the Goodwill was literally like people with Goodwill. And so they would drop off garbage bags and you would go through the big black 50-gallon bag of clothes and you're like, whoa, shoes. And then, yeah, sure, that almost fits me, kind of. And we were blessed. And mom never complained. Like we, we had a culture of gratitude in our home. So I never really knew that we were poor because my parents forgot to tell me that because they weren't complaining. They were just thanking God for what he was providing. And so we never figured it out. So I was just rich my whole, my whole life. 
God just took care of us. And I want to share a little story about someone who, who adopted our family. Her name was Verla Jones. And Verla just fell in love with us. And Verla would come, and Verla kind of became like our adopted grandma. And Verla would come, and she would make a carrot cake from scratch. And Verla was old school. She literally cooked in a wood-fired stove, an oven. Like she, she would get the wood just right to bake a carrot cake with old school light. I mean, it was crazy. And we would go to Verla's, and, 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 she, and we, would, she, we would be like, hey, Verla, can we cut kindling? She's like, sure. And we're out there cutting kindling. Like, it was fun for us. Because <laughs> we were rich. Rich kids always cut kindling to, make, to have fun. <laughs> so every birthday, Verla would come, and she would bring a carrot cake, a handmade carrot cake from scratch. And it was delicious, by the way. And then she would, and she would bring hand-churned homemade ice cream, which was also delicious. So every birthday, and we hadn't multiplied to 10 kids yet, but I think this was up until we were at least to like nine kids. And so, because I, I moved out, you know, kids started moving out, Autumn moved out too, so we, didn't, we weren't all together as 10. Anyway, that's a total aside. Let's get back on point. So you would get this really great birthday. Verla would show up with a carrot cake and hand-cranked delicious homemade ice cream. And that was part of your birthday. And that's amazing, and during this time, we were so poor. Now, let me get back to the so poor stories here. We were so poor. Here's one. We were so poor. One time we came home, and there was nothing to eat in the house. So we went out. We had chickens. We checked to see if the chickens had laid eggs, and they hadn't. So we prayed. Mom goes, okay, well, then let's pray that the chickens lay eggs. So we prayed, Lord, let the chickens lay eggs. And so then we're like, okay, we'll go check. So we went out, and, there, the, and in one nest were 14 eggs. That's amazing. Now, I don't know if God, like, lined the chickens up or if there was, like, Bessie the chicken was just, like, steam coming out. Just, why, God? I don't know. All I know is that we ate. We were so poor that, this is a true story, we were so poor that the, that the illegal aliens, the Mexicans who had snuck across the border to work for the ranchers for less than minimum wage, more than once dropped off groceries on our doorstep. That's not even exact. That's funny. But it's actually true, so it's kind of awesome and funny. So anyway, if any of you have any better poor stories than that, you need to like email them to me so that I can pretend they're like mine. No. Um, what's my point? My point is during this time, Verla adopted us. And she would bring us these carrot cakes during our birthday. And so you knew on your birthday, Verla was coming. And you were going to get carrot cake. And you were going to get hand-cranked ice cream. And the other thing is that Verla would also pop up from time to time. And how many of you, when you were a kid, the Schwanz man would come? I mean, the Schwanz man still comes, but when you were a kid, and that was a big deal. Remember the Schwanz man? And Verla was good friends. The Schwanz man was good friends with Verla, I'll tell you that. And she would show up also from time to time. She would show up with a half gallon, you know, the cardboard cartons of Schwanz vanilla ice cream with dark cherries in it. And... and and in my house, that, that was like gone in like three to eight minutes if you were really savoring it. And so you would have this delicious ice cream. So what I'm trying to say is this. During this time as a child, when I didn't realize that we were poor, there was a reason why I didn't realize that we were poor. And the reason why I didn't realize we were poor, there were a couple things. But one of the reasons was because Verla brought cake and ice cream every birthday. And because Verla brought Schwann's ice cream now and then just out of the blue as a surprise because she loved us. 
Now let me tell you a little more about Verla. Verla came from one of the most dysfunctional families that I have ever... Her, her, one of her sons was killed in a, in a motorcycle accident when he was young, and I don't think Verla ever really actually recovered from that. Her husband was a very wicked man. I'm just going to leave it at that. One of her sons was a very wicked man. One of her daughters was absolutely, ridiculously mentally ill. And, and she lived in an old, like, drafty house on a rundown ranch that wasn't really making it anymore. And she cooked in a stove with wood. I think that part was preference, but I'm just saying that's weird when you have electric heat. But she said, actually, she's like, no, you know, electric heat doesn't bake like wood does. You just don't hear that too often, do you? Maybe with a pizza, like wood-fired pizza, but I mean, how often do you hear that argument? I like my wood stove in here, especially in the summer. So Verla is in this totally, honestly, Verla's life in many ways was hell on earth. But Verla loved us. And she adopted us in her way. And you know what she brought? She brought the best that she had. And she baked carrot cakes. And, I, and, and she baked carrot cakes, honestly, until she couldn't bake carrot cakes anymore. She, she ended up be, uh, going partially blind. And she, so. But she baked carrot cakes, and she brought hand-churned homemade ice cream to our house my whole childhood. And God, through what she did, made me know that no matter what happens, he always provides. He cares about what I want, and I am rich because I have him. And we didn't stay poor for my whole childhood. This was just a season. But during that season, I was never poor because Verla came and shared with this young man. And I haven't actually asked my other siblings how that affected them, because I, because I just, I, but I know how it affected me. And I, I've actually gone back, and I've tried to find ice cream that tastes as good as the Schwann's ice cream that she used to bring. I have. I love ice cream. And I've even had the Schwann's ice cream, you know, the vanilla with the black cherries in it, which is good. But I've never tasted in a beautiful way. I'm telling you this before the Lord. This is true. I've never had ice cream taste as good to me ever since then as it did then. And I don't say that in a like, you know, it all gets worse kind of thing. There's other things that are delicious. But I'm telling you that I've never had a bowl of ice cream that tasted as good as that Schwann's ice cream that Verla used to come, used to come and bring. What is my point? Verla let her light shine in our family. And this child grew up to be a man that knows that God is faithful in every situation because he was faithful to me through Verla in that time when we didn't have anything. And to the extent that Maybe until I'm in heaven, I won't have a bowl of ice cream that tasted as good as that ice cream. And I'm looking forward to that. Verla's with the Lord now. And how many of us would say, well, you got a bunch of cute kids and you gave them some ice cream. How hard is that? Exactly. 
Exact, that's, that's exactly my point. How hard is that? How hard is it to serve? How hard is it to speak up and say, listen, what, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? You want to have lunch? Let's have lunch today. You know, I work with you every day. Let's go have lunch. Let me buy you lunch. And hearing someone's story and just beginning to love them. And what are you doing? You're, you're putting fire in the stove and firing it up. And you're mixing up the ingredients and you're popping in the carrots. And that young man or that woman or that old man and that old one, whatever it is, is having an encounter with the light of the kingdom that's shining in you because you're being intentional. And I believe that this is, that this is what God is trying to do. Is he's, he wants us to shift from saying, Lord, is there anyone today that needs to know about your love? That's a great prayer. It's a good start. But, 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 but the upgrade is this. Father, who today, who today that I'm going to see needs your love? Who today can I serve? Lord, whose foot can I wash today? Whose hand can I put a soda from the vending machine at work into their hand? And they go, thanks. And you go, sure. And they go, why'd you do that? And you go, because I love you. <laughs> you love me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're weird. <laughs> but then later they're like, they can't shake it. The simplicity of the gospel is what makes it so potent because the reality of the Father's heart is demonstrated through each of us as we do the things that we can actually do. And to the extent that we will simply show up and serve and open our mouth and speak of the one who has risen, we will see the wheat come up and the kingdom dominate in every place. Now, when we think about it from a top-down perspective, it doesn't work because then we're thinking like, well, we've got to elect more people or we've got to have more people that own things, etc. And it's true, those things do happen, but, but they don't happen because you started there. They happen because each of us is being faithful to do what we actually can do. You are the light of the world. And he has risen. And so therefore, let your light so shine before men, that they see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How many of you right now, the Holy Spirit is beginning to bring to mind the things that you're actually already in a perfect position and place to share the kingdom? How many of you have someone staying in your home and you're weary how many of you are, are still working with that curmudgeon person and you're thinking, good night, Lord, move them on. And he's like, I gave them you. They're not going anywhere. If you transfer, I will give them a job next to you again. Let's stand up. I want to pray. Can we go ahead and bring the lights up? I truly believe that if we will begin to value every aspect of your life, you will begin to see the kingdom expanding in the places of society that you have deemed too dark. 
It's simply because we're undervaluing what we're bringing to those places. You can say, well, I work in a dark place. That's why you're there. You shine in that place. You're carrying solutions, practical solutions, and the gospel. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but so let your light shine. Haven't you noticed how people are so drawn to you? You're like, get away from me. You annoy me. And the Lord's like, hey, you're light. Yeah, but Lord, these people are annoying. These people are the ones that I gave my life for. And I just want you to love them in practical ways. Ask them if they want a piece of carrot cake. Father, I pray that we as a people that we would do with all of our might everything that we set our hand to, knowing that everything we touch becomes holy, knowing that we are the yeast that is exploding throughout the earth. Your kingdom is expanding everywhere we go. We are the wheat which is growing up into fullness. We are the light which speaks of your kingdom. We are the salt which preserves the nations. And we are the mustard seed which is growing into the greatest tree in the garden. Therefore, Lord, help us to value every aspect of our life the way that you value it that all men would see, that all people would see that Jesus is the Lord. Amen? Amen. If you need prayer today, the prayer servant team is just going to come up here. If you need healing in your body, let us pray for you. We have seen so many healings. I thank God that we've been together today, and I bless you, and I dismiss you to go and be a light everywhere that you are. Amen? Amen.